0: We all say we wanna have a blessed life, but what does that really mean? Is it simply having a nice car, a big house, new clothes? What if a blessed life isn't what you think? What if it's more about what you give away than what you hold on to? What if it's more about the contents of your heart than the contents of your bank account? How do we really live the blessed life? Thanks, Cam. Cam set that up for me. Let's give her a hand. We've been having trouble with my microphone in here, and I know that you've been happy about that, but uh, today you might actually be able to hear me, okay? So we're glad that you're here. Now, let me just tell you something before we get started. I was so pleasantly surprised this morning when I walked in here minding my own business and I saw the Wintons are in the house. What about that noise? I mean, can you believe it? Yeah, let's give them a hand. Now, do y'all know who the Wintons are? Do you know Cameron and Katie Winton who are on our staff, the sisters? Cameron was just up here singing. Katie's all the time doing all the technical stuff around here. Well, their parents, Steve and Peggy, are here. Now, they live right now. They live in Troy, Alabama, and he is the pastor of First Methodist Church in Troy. So if you're going home from here, going north, and you want to stop in Troy and get them to help you financially? Anything like that? Um, that's where they live. Just go by, go by First Methodist, yeah, First Baptist Church, right? And uh, and they'll be glad to help you out there. Um, let me just—I'm just, just going to take a moment. You don't have anywhere to go, do you? Just sit back and relax them I mean, I've got to tell you a little bit about them. I'm—I want to bail off into a whole lot. And by the way, when I sit down, what are you preaching on today? When you come up here, what what is your message? Um, Steve and Peggy grew up with my wife, Laura, on the mountain in Tennessee, up on the Montego Mountain in Tracy City, Tennessee. And so uh, I met Steve when I was in high school. And when we had children, we asked them to be the godparents of our children. And you've never seen two people more relieved than when our children became adults. These, these people, hey, hey. They've just got a new spring in their step now. They uh, they have they're rested. They look good. They feel good. Things are going really well for them. But uh, it's amazing that we go back. We've got all these preachers. Who ended up coming down here. There's a bunch of preachers from Tennessee, and we, we served in this conference, we grew up together, we've known each other forever. And then what are the chances that, that we would have Cameron and Katie on staff here at Woodlawn? You know, it's God is just a big God, and he's got this family, and you know, when we get to heaven, look around at the people who are in here. Go ahead and look at them now. If you're single, this is your chance right here, okay? Go ahead check them out right now. Okay, now stop looking at them and look back at me, okay? Don't just drool or anything. Don't be obnoxious. Well, here's the deal. If you're a Christian, you're going to see these folks again in heaven. Isn't that neat? And when you're a part of the family of God, you know, it goes on forever. And so I I got to know these folks a long, long time ago, and what a blessing. We used to evacuate from Navarre, Florida when there was a hurricane, and we would go to Op, Alabama. They were serving Op. And we would go there, because that's the kind of people we are. We just crash people's houses whenever we have a a catastrophe. And we had our younger daughter, Catherine, and Elizabeth with us, and and Catherine was at that age, and Steve said, you know, I have forgotten how sticky everything is when you have a child that age, right? (laughs) She was 18, I think, at the time. (laughs) So, uh, but these folks have been there for us, and they prayed for us, Peggy, and was there taking care of me when I was in the hospital. We had somebody, when I was in the hospital, somebody there night and day, and Peggy was one of them, so we really appreciate them. So I'm shocked, I'm shocked, I'm just honored and shocked. Did I say I'm shocked? I can't, I'm just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm almost speechless, but I won't go that far. Yeah, you doubt that. Anyway, there's a lot of stories I could tell you about these folks, um, amazing If you ever get the chance, go to Monteagle Mountain, go to Tracy City. There's a lot of neat stuff there. Talk to me after the service. We'll tell you all about it, okay? I work for the chamber now, by the way, there, and I don't know if you knew that, but but anyway, I can share that with you. Now, here's what I want to do today. We're we're talking about um, this series about the blessed life. If you caught that, look at the person next to you and say, the blessed life. Go ahead and tell them right now. Now, really, if you think about it and you're honest, we're all blessed. We're very, very blessed. It really depends on our perspective, doesn't it? You know, sometimes when we receive something, you know, it, it, may, it may look like it's, it's not that big, right? I mean, it depends on your perspective. And when you give something, sometimes it seems like it's a great big thing, but really it's just because you're giving it away. But you know what? What really is a blessing is when the opposite occurs, Whenever you receive something, you just realize it all comes from God and you're so blessed and thankful that you just celebrate whatever it is, right? And then the other side of that is when you give something, it doesn't seem like a lot at all because you compare it to what God has given you and it doesn't even compare, amen? I mean, that's a sermon right there. We could just say amen and go home, but we're not, we're gonna stay. So just, just don't get too excited, okay? We're not leaving. Just look at the person next to you and say, just sit down and be quiet, okay? All right. Now, look, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to start the sermon now. Should I take out my watch and put it up here? You know, because that would mean absolutely nothing, wouldn't it, if I did that? You know what Liz Taylor told her eighth husband, don't you? <laughs> I won't keep you long. Okay. <laughs> So we won't be here all day, but we'll be here. So just relax, okay? All right, now look, when I was just a baby, my dad and my dad was in the military, just briefly was in the Army. And they were living in Arlington, Virginia. And I was born in Fort Belvoir Army Hospital right outside of Arlington while my dad was in the service. And so I'd never seen it because I was six months old when they went back to Tennessee and fortunately took me with them. And so I went back and I took my wife and my kids and we went back and we found the apartment complex where they lived on North Glebe Road. And it's a really, really busy street out there. And the apartment was just right there on the street. And you could just open the door and walk right out to the sidewalk there. Well, my mom was rocking me one night as a baby. And it had occurred to her that as I got older and I learned to walk, that I would be able to go places on my own and I would be able to go outdoors on my own. And I could, if, I, if they lived there, I could actually walk outside and I could go down the sidewalk. And if nobody was there to look after me, you know, I could walk into the traffic that was there. And, and it scared her when she looked at that and she thought about it. And so she thanked God for me. I was the firstborn. There were four kids in our family. And then after that, she gave me to God. She said, "The Lord, I, I need your help to raise this boy. And I'm going to give him to you for your service. When I was three years old, I stood up at my great-grandmother's house in Tennessee. Is this thing falling? Okay. Is it, is it going up and down? See there? Look at that. It's just like your head. It's just going like that. That's right. Katie is the technician, right? Yeah. You're the people person, aren't you? Yeah. All right. I may call you back in a little while. We'll see. Boom. It worked, which is what it is. Is it going down again? So anyway, Try to stay where you are, okay? Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. This is, you know, what happened is that, go ahead, that my microphone that I have, my my portable, we're having trouble with the sound system. The people online are going, is he talking? Seriously? Did he say something? What What is he saying? I can't. I can't. His lips are moving, but I can't see anything. Which reminds me of the time that I was in Opelika serving in a church, and we had an associate minister, and we'd go to the hospital, and we had these videos, and they would watch the service online, and it was you didn't pay for anything, so you just had it, and when they would show it, a lot of times you could see me, but you couldn't hear me, and my associate Earl Ballard said, Well, we want to get you used to looking at him first before you have to listen to him, okay? <laughs> They didn't know how fortunate they were until they fixed the sound, and then they were going, let's fix it back the other way. All right, where was I? So when I was three years old, I was at my great-grandmother's house, and I stood up on a stool in front of everybody, and I told all my extended family to sit down and be quiet because I was going to preach. Now, I didn't know either of those two stories about the ministry and about preaching until after I went into the ministry. And as a firstborn child, my mother gave me back to God for his service. Now, the principle of the first is about making sure that God is first in our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to look at scripture to back that up so that we make him first. In Exodus, God told Moses to consecrate the children and the animals and the firstborn always belonged to the Lord. Now, listen. Our obedience to God's principles reveals the condition of our hearts. If we love God with all of our heart, we will make him first and everything else will fall into place after that. If God is first in our lives, everything will come into order. There'll be order in our lives. You'll still have difficulties and problems because the Bible tells us in this world we're going to have tribulation. But would you rather go through tribulation with everything in order or out of order? You want to have God with you in that. If Jesus is first, you will have order in your life. If he is not first, then nothing will be in order. And you see that in the world today. You see someone who's following God and you see the order in their life. You see someone who's far from God. You see the confusion and the struggle and the dysfunction and all those negative things that go on because of it. The principle of the first runs through scripture. It's all the way from Genesis to Revelation. When you read it, you look for that. You look and see how God has always placed that as a priority. We're going to talk about it in Exodus, the 13th chapter, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. God says it's mine. I am the owner. God really owns everything, doesn't he? And we're going to go on. We're going to talk about that some more, but we're going to go on. And the next verses say, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that, all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the male shall be the Lord's, but every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. Now, my mother gave me, I said I was the firstborn and she gave me back to God. And it gives this illustration here about animals and how they would sacrifice or redeem animals. And my mother didn't, ne- she didn't ever tell me whether I was a donkey or a lamb. It was a, It was related to these scriptures right here, but I'm sure I've been both on many occasions, okay? He says, if you don't redeem it, you're going to lose it anyway. Apply that to the first 10% of your finances. If you don't redeem it, you're going to lose it anyway. If you don't bring it to God, you're going to lose it. And verse 13, it goes on and says, And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Now, there are three points I want us to walk through to try to understand this. And stay with me for a minute because it's going to make sense in a little bit. I know this is a foreign concept. A lot of this stuff I'm talking about, about the animals and the sacrifice and redemption, but hang on. The first thing we see is that the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. But how do you know which one to do? How do you know which one to sacrifice, which one to redeem? Let's take two animals, the donkey and the lamb I just mentioned. The donkey represents unclean animals. You see, in in the biblical times, God would say, make a sacrifice. There were some animals that were unclean. They They couldn't take part in those. They couldn't eat those. They couldn't use them for a meal. And then there were others that were clean animals, and they could eat them. And so the donkey represents the unclean animals and the lamb represents the clean animals. So here's the point. If it's a clean animal, it needs to be sacrificed. Many times they would give a lamb, the first one they had, the best one they had, the one that would bring the most at the market, they would give that to God as a sacrifice, as a way of saying, Lord, thank you. You've blessed me. You've given me all that I have. All this herd came from you. I want to make one sacrifice back to you. And that's what they would do. But if it was an unclean animal, it had to be redeemed with the sacrifice of a clean animal. In other words, you would redeem it by making a sacrifice of a lamb for the donkey, okay? So every time the Israelites' livestock animals delivered their firstborn, they would sacrifice it. The Israelites had to sacrifice the clean firstborn And then the unclean firstborn had to be redeemed. Now, how in the world does that relate to us today? What does that have to do with anything right now? Well, let me ask you two questions. When you were born, were you born clean or unclean? Unclean, that's right, because we're all born fallen. We're born separated from God. We're fallen creatures. All people are sinners saved by grace, right? We're we're separated from God because when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. His sin spread death throughout all the world. So everything began to grow old and die, for all have sinned. And so from that moment forward, every person that came along was born separated from God. So we're unclean, we're born sinners. Parents don't have to teach their children to be bad, we're just bad on our own, aren't we, growing up? We know, we've talked about this, we've talked about siblings and how one that's younger might take something from the one that's older and say, mine, 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 and you'll just give it to them because you're gonna have a stroke if they don't get it because it's so obnoxious to hear them and it just goes up the back of your neck and you're going, mercy, mercy, give me silence, anything, because it sounds terrible. And so we have to teach them to be good because we're all born with a sinful nature. And so we were all born unclean. But now was Jesus born clean or unclean? He was born clean because he's the son of God. He's without spot or blemish. He's the perfect lamb who died to pay for our sins. So if he's perfect, he can't be sinful. Now that's how important this principle is. Jesus was God's tithe he gave his son his firstborn he gave him for you and me so that we might be forgiven in other words what do we have that's valuable enough to pay for our sins nothing but the love of jesus the perfect lamb was it was without spot or blemish. He was the one. And so that's why we give our tithe first to God. He gave his first to us. We love him. We want to give him first place. Now, when you pay your bills and you see that you have enough left over, after you give that first 10%, it takes faith to give it. In other words, you don't wait and see what I've got left over and give that, but you determine this belongs to God. He's already told me it does. I'm going to give it. It's his tithe and our gifts and offering. I'm going to give it to him, and then I'm going to live on the balance of the rest of it because God says when your sheep has a lamb, give me the first one. It takes faith to give God the first because you don't know if you're going to have any more. If you're going to give him the first lamb, maybe you won't have any more, but God says, give it to me first. God didn't say, wait until you have 10 and then pick one out that won't bring very much at the market and give me that one, one that won't be much of a sacrifice for you. Now, it's not the 10% that makes the blessing. It's the faith that enacts the blessing when we give to God first. Why does God want us to do that? Because he wants us to learn to trust him. He is our source. When we give to him first, he teaches us to live on the balance of what we have. And when we do that, we grow closer to him. And that's why he wants us to do it. The reason Jesus is God's tithe is because God gave Jesus first. In other words, he didn't wait to see if you and I signed the contract and said, okay, I'm going to accept Jesus as my savior. And once the paperwork goes through, our people will get back to you, and then we'll send Jesus to die for you. Uh -uh. He said, I love you unconditionally, and I've already done it. And if you never take advantage of it, I've already done it anyway for you. Now listen, if your child had to die so that other people could live, wouldn't you want your child not to die in vain? I mean, wouldn't you show up at those people's houses on Monday morning and say, okay, get out of bed. We're going. Let's see what you're going to do. My child's not going to die in vain. I want you to spend the rest of your life doing something good for somebody else. Let's go. I'm right here to watch you and make sure. But God doesn't do that. He loves us unconditionally. Nobody else loves us unconditionally like he does. The reason that God, Jesus is God's tithe is that he didn't wait to see if we would respond. He just gave his son. God gave Jesus when we were mocking Jesus and spitting on Jesus and nailing him to a cross. When we were sinning, he gave his son. In Romans 5:8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It also says in Romans, God gave Jesus in the hope. Now, the hope that he's talking about there, that that root word of that is faith and faith that we will give the tithe, the first 10%. When the children of Israel went into the promised land, God said, bring all the silver and gold into Jericho, into the house of God. We're going to talk about that a little bit. The tithe always goes to the house of God. He talks about the storehouse, the place where we worship. That's where his tithe goes. It's wherever we go to worship him. So people talk about tithing all the time, but they don't necessarily give 10% to God. They they might give something here and something there. and, And it's fine to give to other things, but first we give to God to be obedient to what his word teaches us. And then if we want to give above and beyond that with other things, that's fine, that's fine. He says, bring first into the house of the Lord and the rest are redeemed. When you give the first to God, the rest of what you have is redeemed. That's what he's saying. So don't give the first portion to the mortgage company because the mortgage company cannot bless what you give, but God can. Now, second, the first fruits must be offered. Proverbs, the third chapter says this, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. When we honor God in his way, he invites blessing into our lives and many blessings that we receive go along with tithing by putting God first. It initiates the blessing. God does not desire a legalistic, begrudging response. We've said that God loves a grudging giver. Is that right? Is that what the Bible says? Huh? No, God loves a stingy giver. Is that what it is? A person who hangs... God loves a cheerful giver. That's right. And so we do it because we love him. We do it in joy and faith, and his principles are true. Again, in Proverbs, it says... Honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your possessions. Proverbs is hundreds of years after the law. This this principle runs throughout the Bible. It says the first of all the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Malachi says bring the tithe into the storehouse. The tithe always comes to the church. You can't divide your tithe and designate it somewhere else. It's God's. It belongs to him. The reason God uses the words, and I catch this, the reason that God uses the words bring the tithe instead of the words give is because you cannot give what does not belong to you. It belongs to God. So you bring it back to him as a show of faith, as a show of obedience, as a show of love to him. You have two choices when it comes to tithing. You can either bring it or you can steal it. That's it. Those are the only two choices. And so the Bible says, will a man rob God? I don't think so. We don't want to do that, do we? And so we're going to bring it. Remember, God said, bring him all the silver and gold from Jericho. We said that a minute ago. But Achan, a biblical character, kept some. And Joshua 6, God calls the tithe consecrated, are set apart. In other words, he said, I told you to bring this to the storehouse. One of you didn't do that. Now you're stealing from me. And in Joshua 7, he says, after Achan had taken some of it, he says, Israel has stolen from him. And because of it, they are cursed. They are cursed. God is saying this. It's consecrated when you bring it to the house of God. It's cursed when you leave it in your bank account. You see, if you want God to bless your bank account, you're to give to him first. That's how you learn to trust him. Why would you want to do something, have something cursed in your bank account? It takes a lot of faith to believe that 90% redeemed will go farther than 100% cursed. Or does it? I don't think so. I think that God provides for us. And when people learn to do this, they come to me and they say, I tried it, I did it, I had no idea it would work. And now I'm amazed that I didn't do it sooner. Why did God accept Abel's offering, but he did not accept Cain's offering? Look at Genesis, the fourth chapter. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and the other fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. He couldn't respect Cain's offering because it was not from the first of what he had received. And God can only be first. He cannot be second. God can't change. If God could change, he could improve, but you can improve on perfection because he's perfect, right? And God can't think because he's omniscient. You see, he already knows everything. He knows everything. God never figures out anything new. He already knows the answer. Think about that for a minute. You and I discover things every day. God already knows everything. It is never something God has never said, you know... This morning, it just occurred to me. No, it didn't. You already knew it. You know everything, right? You know what I just thought of? I thought of something I'd never thought of before. God can't say that because he already knows everything. God knows everything. And he's never heard something and said, Oh, myself. Because he knows everything. Now, Isaiah 55, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's saying he doesn't think the way we do. It's not our nature to think like God. That's why we spend time with God. That's why we read his word. That's why we're in small group. That's why we worship. That's why we're constantly trying to learn what God, who God is, and how to be more like him, Christian, Christ-like. We have to be around him in order for that to occur. God can't be second because God is preeminent. He's number one. He is in charge, okay? He cannot accept Cain's offering because he didn't bring him from the first of what he had. God cannot accept a second-place offering. I want you to think about that when it comes time for you to tithe. Because if you don't give it first, if you're giving it later on based on what you've got left, and it's not 10%, it's just whatever you've got there, how can God bless that? You're going against his principle. If Jesus is God's tithe, tithing must be a little bit more personal to him than we think, to the Father than we think, because he's giving us his tithe, his Son. Where does your first 10% go? If you'll tell me that, then I can tell you what's number one in your life. Now, the third thing, the last thing. The tithe must be first. Leviticus, the 27th chapter says this. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. Holy means it is set apart by God, consecrated. And that's why it has to be first, because God is first and he owns it. Now, Robert Morris is a pastor, and he tells a story about how he always gets paid on the 15th and the 30th or the 31st, and he'll have his quiet time in the morning, and when he gets paid, he'll send God's tithe in online right then so that he'll pay the tithe back to God, and every every month, whether it's the 15th or the 30th or 31st, whenever he gets paid, he will do that, but he says, what if he has an early morning meeting, and he has to leave before he has time to do that? And then he doesn't pay the tithe. And then his wife, Debbie, goes to the grocery store and she buys groceries. And he gets home that night and he sits down to pay the tithe. And she's already been to Publix. And he says, well, great, Debbie. You went to Publix and paid our tithe The Publix. Now what are we going to do? We're all going to hell. It's over. I don't know what to do now, right? Well, no, because God is not that legalistic and I'm not either. In fact, I'm just trying to give you a principle, not a legalistic principle. I'm trying to talk to you about your heart because God knows our hearts. So the first 10% goes to the house of God because we love him and we want to give it to him and we want to bless him by doing that. So when you put God first in your life and honor him with a tithe, it's a witness to your family. When our children were little, we would teach them about tithing. Now listen, some things that you, you, you teach are good, But some things, it's not just taught, it's caught, right? And so if you can show them what you do to tithe, then they can practice it. So when they were little, we explained to them that we we chose to give 10% back to God. And Elizabeth was like three years old, and she was in the high chair. And we had these three jars up on a shelf, and she could see them. And one of them said God, and one of them said Asbury College, and one of them said Elizabeth. And so we would give 10% to God and 10% to school, and then we would give the rest to Elizabeth. Now, she's three years old, and she's studying those jars one day. And out of the blue, this three-year-old says to me, How come God and Asbury have little and I have much? And I said, Elizabeth, would you like to preach Sunday? I think we have an opening. (laughs) I can't do any better than that. A three-year-old can look and see how they are blessed by God. If a three-year-old can get this concept, we can get this concept, can't we? And so we taught her and we showed her. And, you know, little children love to give and you give them the money. If you say, I'll put it in the plate for you, they'll say, no, I want to do it myself. And they take it and they love to give it. They celebrate it. It's a joy. Well, why wouldn't you celebrate? It's a chance for you to give something tangible back to the God who loves you and saves you. Now listen, if you can trust God with your eternal life, don't you think he can handle your finances? I mean, it doesn't make any sense, does it? I surrender some. I surrender a little bit. Some I shall give back to Jesus. I surrender what I have left. There's a powerful verse in Exodus, the 13th chapter, and it says, and you shall tell your son in that day saying, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. And then your children see how you honor God, and they see how you live, and they see that you tithe. The best way to teach them Is for them to see you do it. And you have the opportunity to tell them how you were a slave, lost in sin, dead to sin. And then Jesus, God's tithe, came and redeemed you. And you're saved. And with a grateful heart, you can explain that's why I put God first. When I went to a Bible study in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, down at the college, one of my buddies took me. We got there, and it was in this apartment. And they said, some policeman lives here. They were talking about Steve. He was a a deputy sheriff on the mountain. His daddy was the sheriff. And we got in there, and and, uh, my buddy said, now, you don't have to say anything. And I said, well, don't worry, I won't. And then they went around the circle at the end. They said, do you have any prayer concerns? And my buddy said, I'd like to pray for Joe Lay. And I almost hit him in the mouth. I was sitting right beside him. I'm like, do you know I'm right here? Am I such a pagan, you got to pray for me? And as he prayed for me, I just knew that God convicted me and I rededicated my life to Christ right there in that policeman's apartment a long, long, long time ago. And what a blessing. And since that time, God has blessed us so and given us a family of God and a group of people that we still remain close to today. And when we we couldn't get back to Tennessee to see our family for a lot of holidays, we would just all get together, and that would be our surrogate family. You know, only God can do that. It's amazing what God does, and he just comes and finds us where we are. As we came back from North Carolina this week, we were at Billy Graham's Training Institute at the Cove. As we came back, we went and saw a lot of different people, and one of them was a preacher in Milner, Georgia. Milner, Georgia. This guy comes to the beach, and he stays down here on vacation, and he'll come to church. And he showed up, and one day he came in after church. He was just on the weekday, and, and he was just checking the place out. That's what preachers do on their vacation. They go look at churches and find, ask a lot of questions, and their family's going, help me get out of here. And so he's, and I'm just standing in the office. I, I was just in the office that day. And he starts talking to me. And I said, Now, I can tell by your accent, you must be from Tennessee. He said, I am from Tennessee. I said, I am too. I said, Where are you from? You know what he said? McMinnville, Tennessee. Wait a minute. I'm from McMinnville, Tennessee. I said, Where's your wife from? He said, Tracy City, Tennessee. I said, my wife is from Tracy City, Tennessee. And I quit talking to him because I was sure we were going to be related if we kept going <laughs> at that point. So I found out about it. He's been back several times. He comes to our services. He's so complimentary and kind. He serves this church. It was a little country church out in the middle of nowhere, but it was in the middle of a lot of towns around it. And now the thing is booming. And we went by and saw it. I mean, it's unreal what God has done there. He's been there since he was 25, and he's in the late 50s now. And he just keeps on growing and building. It's amazing. And so we talked to some people. They say, well, yeah, we watch him online. He does a great job. So we got to visit with him and talk. And, you know, his wife was taught in school by my mother-in-law. She taught senior English at the high school. And really, I mean, now this is, this is, I'm not making this up. Steve and Peggy were with Laura one time in Tracy City, and they decided to go to the cemetery. And Peggy said, I've got some family in this cemetery. And Laura looked at her and said, well, I've got family in this cemetery too. Because Laura's mother's name was Foster. Her last name was Foster and Foster Falls and the Foster Cemetery. So we knew they were connected. We didn't know Peggy was. And Laura and Peggy looked at each other and realized they really were related and grew up together and did not know that. That thing happens in Tennessee a lot. Did you know that? Yeah, it does. But you know, As Christians, we're all going to be related. We're all going to spend eternity with God. Why not just start now thanking God for the way that he's blessed us? How good he's been to us? You can't outgive God. When we give stuff to our five-year-old granddaughter, we just hate it, you know? All the things, the gifts we've bought her, the money we've given her, the candy, the thing. You know, I want all that back. What a waste, right? Why do we do that? Because we love her. We just love her. We love our kids. We love our grandkids. We just want to... Be a blessing to them, and God has blessed us, and so we do that. We want to bless you as well. We just want to be a blessing to one another, don't we? And that's what it is to be in the family of God. And let me tell you, when you give something to somebody, it's a lot more fun than when you get something from somebody. Don't you just love to be a fly on the wall and watch them when they get it and surprise them? What a blessing that can be. Well, I'm about ready to start the second phase of this message. It, it You're not really wanting to go anywhere, are you? You don't really eat till noon. No, I'm not going to do that. But I, I just look at the person next to you and say, I am blessed. And all God's children said,